taught in many other situations, but to teach God's message is just such an awesome privilege and responsibility. So um, we're going to play a little game to start. Um, so uh, Rayanne is going to come up and we're going to do a bit of a charade thing. I want you to try and guess the title of the sermon. So <laughs> you've got to play. All right. Um, so Rayanne, how it's... Well done, <laughs> Rand, and yeah, well done for such good clues. And then I, I looked up this. Does anyone know sign language? Does anyone know how to do sign language? So I, I looked up Bible and Word of God, and these were the two. I'm not very good at this, so I'm just going to try and show you. I don't know. That's why I was hoping someone maybe knew sign language could help me with that. So the whole point of this is that we need words. It's very difficult to communicate without words. It can be fun, but it can take ages to get three words and work out what they are when we're only having clues. Um, And so often, we would really like to hear God speak clearly. Um, We would love neon lights in the sky or sort of a booming voice in the thunder, but we often sort of say, well, well, how do I know that God is speaking to me and and what is his word? So that's what we're going to be looking a little bit closer at today. Unfortunately, deaf people have to use that language all the time, but we are blessed in being able to use words, to say them, to sing them. Thank you so much, worship team, for today. Your, your voices were just beautiful, even Don with your flu. Um, it was just such a blessing to hear your beautiful voices. So thank you so much for that. Um, so how do we hear God's voice? Um, praying and waiting on the Lord to sort of hear what, he, what he's trying to say to us. Sometimes it's our own thoughts that come back at us um, that we then get confirmation of. Um, but again, it's not clear. We haven't got a sort of direct signal. Sometimes prophetic words from other people can reinforce what we've been thinking. Um, and sometimes people are very scared to share those. What if somebody thinks I'm crazy when I go up to them and I say, look, God has given me this word for you. Um, but when I've tried to practice that, I've always had the most amazing response. Wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Or um, it's you know something that's really been on my heart. So thank you for that. I'll give it some more time with God. So if God ever prompts you to say something to someone, it doesn't have to be, oh, I'm prophesying over your life. Just a word, a thought. Go and share it with someone. It really does make a difference. Miracles certainly are very clear indicators that God is saying something. Um, And so the other thing that often people are a little bit concerned about is sometimes when God speaks to us in a dream. It's happened in the Bible a number of times, but sometimes we have a dream that is very significant and that keeps going over and over. And I work in the field of psychology. Yes, we have dreams about information that's come in and out and it's data collection in the day. 
We have dreams about unconscious material that is really stuff that's worrying us. But also God can use dreams um, to tell us something. So if you do feel like you've had some sort of message, then speak to someone else about it, pray about it, get some counsel. And then lots of opportunities or doors opening and closing. Sometimes those have been the clearest way that God has given me the go-ahead for something or a clear message. I'm going to try and go in this direction, but if it gets blocked, well, then God maybe doesn't want me to go there. So, um, and then when doors do open, you go, wow, I need to move through that because I can't say now, no, 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 I, I, I don't trust that. If God gives you the opportunity, you need to take it. And then another one that I've thought of since I put the slides together is God coincidences. I don't know if you've had those, but it's amazing how suddenly a whole lot of dots will join around a topic. Or you've been praying about something and then you get somebody sends you a message that's just maybe a daily devotion and then somebody else says this and then you put the thing on and you hear that song and they all just go and they all add up. So even this morning, um, that beautiful song about holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, I probably sang that song the last time here when I was a student at the school a very long time ago. <laughs> and just, which was like God going ping at me this morning. So we've never, I've never, have we ever sung that song before? No, I don't think so. But that was like God going I'm connected with you today. And it was such a reassurance and such a gift for me. So thank you, worship team, for listening to what God was telling you about the songs to sing. So if any of you got any others that you've thought of about how you hear God? I know it's difficult sometimes when you put on the spot in the sermon to answer a question. Anyone got something else that you thought, yeah, this is, this is what I've heard and how I've heard it? <laughs> Tell us how that's worked for you, Owen. Through music, yes? Good, okay, yeah. So that, that pops up on your feed or whatever, and that's that God really sort of, again, often that's go, those God coincidences where it's an answer to something that maybe somebody didn't even realize would speak to you. Awesome, and yes, music, certainly. So I'll, I'll up, update the slide for future reference. Yes, Nirozai? And that's when you've got to act on it. <laughs> you can hatch it for a while, but usually God wants you to do something with it. Awesome. So if you can think of any others, you're welcome to discuss them in your life groups or share them with me later, whatever. But I'd really think it, you know, often people ask me, how do I know that God's talking to me? And other people that you will be discipling and sharing with will sometimes in the future ask that question. So at least you've got some ideas of how to answer that. Another really important question is, how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? I've had lots of debates with people who are not Christians going, well, you're basing everything on this Bible thing, and I don't even believe that that's a real thing. It's just a whole lot of old-fashioned writings that people have put together and, you know, have said that this is the Bible. Um, and then you go, well, how, how do I know? How, how can we prove that this is the Word of God? We've got a collection of books. Who decided that these were the ones to put in the Bible? How do we know that this is legit? Very difficult question, but um, we've actually got a whole series from about a year or so ago where we 
and it's still on our website. So please go back and listen to some of those sermons again because it deals with these kind of questions in detail. I mean, we could talk about this for th- um, six months, <laughs> but I'm just trying to give you a quick uh, summary of it. Um, and it really helps us to be able to answer those questions, even for our own doubts, um, to go like, how do I know that this is what I'm reading is actually from God? So the the short answer, I've just put a few things on a slide, is in the evidence of ancient texts. The more we're finding out archaeologically, the more we're actually finding out that things are matching up. Um, I remember at Varsity doing something on oral tradition, where if people pass on a story in terms of oral tradition before writing has been used in a, in a community, that oral story is not just random. It is told exactly and passed on through generations. So even if it's just verbal, so those words, when they are finally written down and are found as things written on tablets or uh, ancient writings often will corroborate with each other in ways that are incredible. Um, And so geographical and geological and historical information that's not to do with Christianity or the Bible often will say, hey, look what we found. This actually backs up what was in the Bible. Um, So things like the flood and so on. And then um, we've had a development over time of the books that we now know as the Bible, and there's a whole history of how that happened. Again, if you're a theologian or whatever, you'd maybe want to go into all of that. Who decided? Why did they choose those? What got left out? Why? Um, And then the prophecies about Jesus. For me, that's just like mind-blowing. That five, six hundred years before Jesus arrived on this planet, there are specific references to what he would be doing. In Isaiah, it says, they will cast lots for my clothes. Um, in, I think it's when we read recently that Jesus would come on a donkey. I mean, that's specific stuff. And it's written hundreds of years before it actually happened. So we haven't got this guy called Jesus just going, now how am I going to prove that I'm the son of God? Okay, let me go back into all the references and then I need to go like, check, check, check. You know, <laughs> ride a donkey, make sure that they a bottle for my clothes after I'm dead. How could he do that? So it's all those amazing, I think there are, uh, Jamie's not here, I think there are like a hundred and something references to Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a lot. It's certainly more than 50. So I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact number, but there's a lot of them. And then um, in the belief and faith that all scripture is God-inspired, that is something that we have been told in the Bible and we do believe it. Because Jesus himself trusted it, taught from it, referred to it, and fulfilled it. Jesus was in the temple. He was studying. He was learning. And when he was tempted, he quoted the Bible. He said, it is written, when he was counteracting what the devil was trying to get him to do, um, for example, in the desert. Um, We also have this inward confirmation by the Holy Spirit. This book is dangerous, but it can sit on that shelf for ages. But as soon as someone dives into it, digests it, engages with it, it changes things. There's an analogy for change that I often use, and it's about, you know those little sugar beans? You can put one of them over there and leave it for a year, three years, 10 years. It's not gonna do anything. 
it's going to stay there like that. But water it a little bit, give it a little bit of light, and it's going to start getting very uncomfortable. It starts to swell. Its skin gets tight. It bursts open. And most of us, when change happens, we go, oh, I don't want change. I want to stay the same as I was. But the Bible disturbs our life in a good way. It makes us pay attention and change. And so it's not just this book gathering dust on a shelf. It's something that is an interaction and it is living. There is a version of the Bible called the Living Bible. I had a green copy once. <laughs> it looked like it was growing, you know. So um, uh, it, it is about this being a living word. And then that whole reality that, that lives are changed. All right. So the Bible refers to the Word of God often, the Word of God. And there's quite a few examples. I won't bore you with them all. There's a whole lot of them there. <laughs> uh, if you would, uh, we'll put them in the life group notes coming up this week in terms of what they are. But I would just like to read a few to you. We've had a lot of scripture shared today already. Um, so let's just, I'll just grab one or two of them. From 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. James 1 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Christians are often criticized for being hypocrites, for saying one thing and doing another. We need to walk our talk. In Matthew 7, 24 and 26, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And after living in KZN this year, we know what happens when houses are built on sand. Later on in Matthew 24, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So they stand the test of time. People say, oh, that's an old book. It can't be relevant to today. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm with 176 verses. <laughs> And there are many references in that psalm to God's law, his word, his commandments, his statutes, his precepts, his testimonies, his righteous rules, and wondrous works and promises. So there's a few there that you could have a look at. In fact, the whole of Psalm 119 is pretty much all about the word of God. And then Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, when we are encouraged to put on the armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. We are asked to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. And that we need to do daily. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And do nothing, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that testimony. And I think what I'm going to be talking about is some practical ideas of how to also put those things in place. And afterwards, yeah, maybe we can carry on the conversation. It would really be uh, special to do that. But thank you for sharing that, because I think so many people feel it, but don't ever express that. Good, thanks. Okay. <clears throat> So, how does all of this link to our Rebuilder series? <laughs> Very good question. I've <laughs> gone off on a bit of a tangent. Um, but let's go to the Bible and see what um, has come from Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, so, let's have a look at Ezra um, 10, 7 first. 7, 10, sorry, first. Okay, never mind. We'll just read this one. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law, and in the, we think it was sort of the first five books of, of the um, Old Testament, and um, the next bit, you can't find it, okay, <laughs> all right, don't worry, we actually need the next little bit, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, and both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it facing the square from early morning until midday in the presence of those men and women and those who could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. They stood and listened from the morning to midday while Ezra read. So it's not quite a quick scripture. He read and read and read. Because remember, nobody had their own copy of the Torah, of the book of the law. So they needed to hear it from someone else. There was no app on your phone or anything like that. They didn't have access to something that they could just open. Um, so they needed to hear it from Ezra, who was a scribe. And Ezra 7.10 says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach God's statutes and rules to Israel. That was Ezra's life role. I'm going to learn this stuff, I'm going to do it myself, and I'm going to teach it to other people. So when he went back to um, Jerusalem after being in, in Babylon, that was his job. And then the Levites also helped the people to understand the law. They were the priesthood. They were a whole, they, there's a whole list of names of them there. Don't need to bore you with all of those, but there was a whole lot of them who were priests. So they were on hand to help the people to understand. So they didn't just get the words and they kind of went over their head. They helped them to engage with them and to understand. So in the rest of Nehemiah, we see that the people respond to the word of God. They realize that they have sinned, and they try to focus on their spiritual lives. So the story outline, if we can have a look at the next slide, is that God's chosen people were captured and taken to Babylon, and when they finally get to return, everything is destroyed and has to be rebuilt and restored under Nehemiah's governance. And at the same time, the spiritual lives of the people are looked at by Ezra, who studies, does, and teaches the Word of God. So it's really, really important that there is no point in rebuilding stuff and 
going to church in building the temple and rebuilding the wall unless you rebuild your covenant with God. Otherwise, it's just buildings. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been into a beautiful cathedral. We have one in the center of town. There's lots in Europe. But most of the time now, they are tourist attractions. God is not there. <laughs> beautiful art and amazing things. But it's empty, and people pay to go in and have a look at the art. Um, in London, uh, I went there a long, long time ago, and it was hard to find a church that was actually meeting and alive. My cousin got married in this huge cathedral, people that came to church in that place, this beautiful old building that has got such a history. And then I was walking past, and I heard a chorus being sung coming out of a window somewhere, and it was like this dodgy little place on the side where Christians were gathering to sing and praise, to praise God. That's the church. So we need to be building our relationship with God because that is what church is about. Um, so the people in Israel at the time really realized that they needed to seek God and renew the covenant with him, and they did that through the word of God. So as Israel taught, they listened, they understood, and they did things differently. And so, next slide, please. The word was read. The people listened and attended carefully. They understood with the help of Ezra and the other priests. They recognized their sin. sin. They were crying and kind of rending their clothes and realized how far they had gone from God. And they responded and turned away from their sin and wrongdoing, and they endeavored to follow the laws of God. So we see them doing some of the festivals, the Feast of Tabernacles and so on. We see them doing those things again. They had lost the, the habit of doing those religious festivals. God gives them the opportunity, they come back. But often it fizzles out again. By the end of Nehemiah, people are kind of doing their own thing again. Um, but we are privileged to have Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help us keep on that track. We sing songs about run the straight race. We think of Pilgrim's Progress as a book that teaches us how to keep on the path to God. And we all fall off. Um, I would hate to tell you some of the things and places that I've been to in my time of being a Christian and had to come back um, to God, often on my knees and in great trouble. Um, so we need to be disciplined in keeping going. Um, so coming to church, singing those songs, but it's got to be heartfelt. It's got to be an engagement in here with your spirit, talking to God's spirit. Otherwise, it's all. As we tried to rebuild Harbor City from COVID times to build God's church on earth, we need to develop our own relationships with God and we learn important steps in this process in the narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah. We already looked at, next slide please, the worship before walls, putting God at the center, renewal and its anticlimactic nature. We've looked at Zion versus Jerusalem and the role of the prophets. And the text today makes it clear that we all need to, next slide please, is about Jesus. Right from the beginning to the end, it's all about covenant with God and getting back to him through Jesus. And my heart broke because they don't have Jesus to help them to do that. And they feel terrible. This person felt that God was punishing them. And I just wanted to say, 
Jesus is the answer to that. You don't need to be so far from God. Jesus will save you and will make that connection happen again. Um, and it's just so sad when people don't have that answer and can't see that the whole of the Bible is about Jesus. And we need to constantly work on our own spiritual renewal and revival. There's a word that was sort of in the 70s, before most of you were born, that talked about backsliding. You're a backsliding Christian. Have <laughs> you heard that word? So it's like you're on this narrow path and you've got fallen off the edge, you know, or you kind of on this conveyor belt and suddenly you've stopped moving and you land up right at the back again. So, but it's a real thing. Um, unless we keep going, we, we also use the term lukewarm. You know, you're a lukewarm Christian. Are you on fire for God? Um, we need to keep doing that. Little sugar bean I told you about um, and help when we're in trouble, but we often don't get ourselves right with God. I get cross when people use God as a slot machine. Oh, I'm suddenly in trouble. I get on my knees and pray. Please help me, God. But as soon as things get back to normal again, they forget about God at our own convenience. We need to actively engage and listen to God's word under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about how many people have lost their lives smuggling this book in different countries um, or having possession of it. And that's because it is dangerous, as we spoke about. I'll show you this little Bible version that I've got. <laughs> this I was given to in grade eight in high school, again, a long time ago. And this has traveled with me all over the place. You can see it's all written in and really messed up. But I still keep it in my office in case I need to quickly refer to something and I haven't got time to go on my phone or whatever. And this is the Gideon's Bible, which is put into schools, churches, hospitals, and it can sit in that drawer in that hotel room for absolutely ages. But when someone picks it up and engages with it, then things start to happen. It's got lovely references. It says in the beginning here, where to find help when? And there's like bitter or critical, defeated, depressed. Um, and then there's references so that you can find it quickly. But um, this is just for me, like the preciousness of the word of God. Um, teach it just like Ezra. And then to respond and act by changing our behavior. Every sermon, even, is an example of this. I was thinking of this whole process of putting this together, of engaging with the Word, of hearing things from God, of saying, and I was saying earlier, my brain was going all over the place. There was so much, and I was just so excited. And it's how do you get it back to something that's shareable and relevant in that situation? We could talk about God all the time. Um, it's how to keep quiet about God sometimes. It, that should be the problem. Um, so we certainly, we can sit here. We can hear this stuff. We can go, okay, fine. Go, carry on. What did Glenda talk about on Sunday? I have no idea. Um, but you can also think about, pray about, look up one of the scriptures. Really think about how to apply it to your life. And that will be making the difference. So how are we going to make some of this stick? So I quite like practical advice. So the next slide hopefully shows us some of the tips of how to make the Word of God real in our lives. Your Bible text is important. Remember, there are lots of weird people out there. We have fake news on social media. 
Um, so there's lots of fake news about God too. So make sure that the version that you have is legit. The podcast that you're listening to, the daily devotion, we've got weird things like, um, uh, what is the word? I've suddenly lost it. <laughs> you see, what, see how important words are? Um, uh, the uh, prosperity gospel. Sorry, that's the word I was looking for. So we've got lots of people who are preaching the prosperity gospel. You'll do everything right and you'll get whatever you want. Um, and you know, they're using scripture, um, but it's often a focus on only certain scriptures and only certain themes. Um, they kind of can take us off on a tangent. So please check your sources. Um, when I was a teacher and people say, oh, I am... Um, saw this in the U magazine, I would start to have a frothy. Like, that's not a reference. <laughs> Wikipedia, check it out. Who are you getting this information from? Um, so please check your sources. There's lots of apps for daily verses, for sermon, for podcasts. The Bible Project is awesome. If you don't know the Bible Project, you've got to go and find it. I love visual things. And it talks, the guy's telling you the story of Ezra Nehemiah, and someone's drawing pictures of the people and the themes and all of that. It goes very fast. Um, but you can see it visually. Um, it talks about themes. It talks about books of the Bible. Uh, that is an amazing resource. Um, there's one called God Pause, uh, and for this um, sermon, I looked up things from the uh, Bible Coalition, um, very good sermons, and um, there was just so many. As I was looking for information on Ezra, I was going, oh, I must read that one, I must listen to that one. <laughs> there's just so much that's exciting out there. So we, we also need to have this daily connection with God. We often talk about a quiet time. That's also sort of a, a theme that we often suggest to people that you have a quiet time every day, that it's in your diary, that it's not just, oh, I'll chat to God when I feel like it. So it's the same as exercise. You need to have it in there somewhere. It's part of your routine so that you do give God time. Eugene, I remember that. Do, how can you make space for God, is what you said in your last sermon. And that really challenged me. How do you make space for God in your day? Because we often only put him in when we've got a gap. Memorize verses. Um, how many of you know um, anything about people who go to Madrasa? They memorize the Quran for three to four hours a day. How many of us know a scripture? I'll get you just now, okay. Um, and we really need to put those words in us. So if we don't have the Bible with us, we don't have a phone, we don't have a hard copy, there's a scripture in your head that could encourage you. Um, and hold on to God's promises and affirmations. So the psychologist in me just wants to share something with you about affirmations. We've got a whole crowd of psychologists who use cognitive behavioral therapy, and they look at finding your dysfunctional thought patterns and putting more healthy thought patterns into place. So if you're feeling scared, you will say, I'm brave. And people say, well, I don't believe it. No, it doesn't matter. You just say, I'm brave, I'm brave, I'm brave, and then you're going to start to feel brave. And in the last five or six years, they have found out through the technology and brain scans that they've got now that when you say a positive thing, positive word, your brain structure changes. It's physiological. It's not in your imagination. It's in your brain structure. So if you say, I'm no good, nobody likes me, 
and you've got words that other people have told you and formed your identity with, especially if you've had a bad background, those words become your thought pathways. But if you change them consciously to, I'm a good person, Jesus loves me, I can do this, your brain starts to make axons and neurons and puts little myelin sheaths around them so that when your little thought comes along as an electromagnetic wave, instead of going into that negative thought pattern, it goes into the new one. And the more you ignore the old pattern, the more it dies, it atrophies. Those little axons and neurons start to disappear. They get reabsorbed by your brain. So now when you start thinking, you go to, I can do this. God loves me. This is awesome. I'm brave. I'm strong. I can do this. So those affirmations we need as Christians to be using the word of God for. We need to be putting God's words into our head. He made us. He's the best psychologist ever. He knew what we needed. It's his word in our head. So the words can hurt, but they can also heal. So allow God to write your story and determine your identity. His word created the universe that you might hear. Um, one of the God coincidences that happened while I was preparing for this was that a song that I thought would really fit in well with today and what we've just been talking about, um, and that it reminds us that God's words are powerful and can heal us. Um, so, Eugene, do you want to end off? We're going to listen to the song um, when, when we finish. And, um, okay. Mm. We don't often do this on our Sundays, but uh, for today it's quite a special moment and it's something that uh, Glenda has really felt um, in her heart with the time with God. And uh, I would like to encourage us to be open, uh, to not close off. It could be, you can, in, in moments like this, it's so easy to close off and be like, I'm not sure if I really wanna sit down and listen to a song and process my thoughts. Um, especially if you're not used to the habit. So I'd like to encourage us to open up and allow God to channel to channel himself through to work in those deep details in our heart. And more importantly, to ask the life group leaders or the deacons uh, to be available as well, to avail themselves. Just in case if someone needs prayer, um, you can open up to those people and ask, like, hey, I need prayer in this area. You don't have to give the whole details of your struggle, but you can maybe name your struggle and then ask for guys to pray for you in that area and where you need faith in. So, Deacons, if I could ask you guys to be on the sides, just so guys can uh, come to you when they need. Thank you. Managed to get something that you could put into real practice uh, from this session. I'd just like to pray with us before we listen to the song. Dear Lord, as we seek you and thirst for you, pray that you will meet us in a powerful way. It will be etched upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. in my
You'll have every victory. 